Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. We're gonna go. Um, we're gonna go to First Corinthians today. First Corinthians, and then First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, and then we're gonna jump over to John chapter twenty. Um, how many of you guys have ever lost your keys? How many of you are looking for your keys this morning, and you still haven't found them? Probably you're not here. If if you haven't found your keys, you're probably not here. You're watching online. We miss you. We miss you. Uh, everybody just turn and wave at the camera and just say we miss you. Um, no, if you yeah, if if you've lost your keys before, and we've done this, we've at my house things like this. I, it's not really me. It's more rain. I, I, I she has lost keys, and I'm not. T- I mean, she she would tell you this. It's true. I think we went and had family pictures one time at this lake. It was beautiful, beautiful scenery. And at some point in this photo shoot, I think she dropped her keys in the lake, and we lost. That's that's all we could. They just disappeared after that photo shoot. Uh, and then one time, she lost her keys inside of her coat jacket, uh, in the sleeve. She put her. She went to go put this coat on, and she had her keys in her hand. And she went to go put her, the coat on, and realized I think she wanted to change coats. So I guess she just released the keys as she pulled her arm out, and the keys stayed in there for like three weeks. We couldn't figure out where these keys were at. Then until she went to go put the coat on, and she put her arm in, she's like, "Oh, there's my keys." It's amazing. Anybody ever found stuff like that just in weird places? I mean, have you ever found the remote control in the refrigerator? Now, she didn't do that. That was me. <laughs> I was carrying around a stick of butter instead of the, the remote, you know. No, I, uh, I mean, we lose stuff. And so uh, these wonderful tech companies have tried to help us not lose things. Uh, they have developed these uh, items called trackers. Anybody to use a tracker for your keys now? You know, we've we've got one for, for our keys, and uh, we bought some for Taylor, Miss Taylor around here. Uh, she's always losing her keys, and so we got her. We said, hey, listen, we are buying you a tracker. I came in this past week, and I found the tracker. The tracker was laying on the desk. The keys were not attached to them, though. So I'm like, that's not how this works, right? <laughs> this is not magic. It's, it's technology. It's not magic. And so I was thinking about that this week, and if you look at your phone, um, most of us will have, if we have like a smartphone, our phone has uh, the capability to tell us now that, hey, you've left certain items behind. I know that there have been times that I've, I've got an iPad, and I've left my iPad at the, at the house, or I've left it here at the office, and as I'm, I'm driving, I get this notification on my phone, hey, you've left your iPad behind. And sometimes you might get a, get a notification, it kind of looks like this, you know, You've your house keys or something, you've left your keys behind. And how many of you are really appreciative of those notifications, right? How many, you use that stuff. Hey, find my phone, find my, you know, kids, find whatever it is that you're trying to find, right? We use these things, and, uh, and I'm really grateful for them because it, it does help out. But I was thinking about that. Um, I was thinking about that uh, over the last couple of days, and Apple notifies you so you can go back and get your stuff. Apple wants to notify you or these tech companies want to notify you so you can go back and get it. I began to think about that in terms of what Jesus did. And see, Scripture notifies us that we will never have to go back and get certain things. There are certain things that we can leave behind, and it's a good thing. 
to be left behind at, 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 in this conversation that I'm going to talk to you about today is a good thing. And I know you say, that left behind. I don't know about that left behind stuff, Pastor. You know, and, and actually, this is a good thing. These are the good things you want to leave behind. Sometimes you don't want to carry stuff with you. Sometimes you don't need to pick up the baggage. Sometimes you don't need to pick up the lies and the stuff that you've been dragging around for years and from relationship to relationship and, and all the habits and the, the sins that get attached to, attached to us. There are things that we need to leave behind. And we're going to talk about that today. And I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. See, it was important for the first century uh, disciples to tell some specific details about Jesus. Uh, there are certain things when you get to the story of Jesus, you must talk about. And this was common for, for all the disciples. Anyone who took Jesus seriously and took the message of Christ seriously, there were things that they had to talk about. And uh, the things that we're going to see is right here, this, this 1 Corinthians 15, it was almost kind of a, a creed in a sense that they would recount and say, hey, when I'm talking about Jesus, these are the main things that you need to know about Jesus. And, and what is that? So I want to just read it off the screen here. In verse 3 it says, for I delivered to you, and this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. I want you to get that, first importance. Right? That means it is priority. It is top. It is at the top of the list. This is not down, you know, somewhere, you know, underneath, hey, finding my keys. This is, this is the very first thing I want you to know about Jesus. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. And he makes that point. He says, listen, this, is, this was not just happenstance. This was actually planned by God. Isaiah tells us that it was God's good plan to crush Jesus. And you say, well, that sounds horrible. That does sound horrible. But that good plan was for us so that Jesus could take on what we didn't have to take on. That Jesus would take what, uh, what, what was meant for us. And so he stood in our place. And so we see that it goes on. It says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Once again, in accordance with Scripture, it was planned out. This wasn't happenstance. It wasn't like an afterthought with God. That in accordance with Scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas. Who is that? It's Peter. Simon Peter. And then to the twelve. And it goes on. It says not just to Simon Peter and to the twelve disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the time of whom are, some are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. And that, that means that some that had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus had now died. And, and that's how they, they talk about they'd falling, fallen asleep. But see, Jesus being resurrected wasn't just something that it was supposed to be for the inner crew. Um, it was a, a revealed thing to many people. And it was, it was a revelation for us, and it's the most important revelation. Let me tell you this. Out of all the great things about Christianity, and you can go look and see the, the, there's, there's, there's things that we can look at that Christianity has been benefited uh, for being in this world, right? When you start looking at orphanages, you start looking at hospitals and all these things, universities that were started because the church said, hey, we want to educate people. We want to take care of people. We want to take care of the poor. We want to take care of the orphan. All those things are wonderful, and all those things are great. But Christianity would not be Christianity today without the resurrection. And if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have anything. All we have is a bunch of good stories, and we can pat ourselves on the back, but we're still in a, in a sorry, sorry state. We're still in a dead state. We're still dead people. 
Because Jesus gets up and because Jesus rises on the third day, that changes everything. And resurrection is the linchpin for Christianity. If we don't have resurrection, we don't have anything. But we do have resurrection. And that means we get everything. And so when we look at the story, the, the disciples are, and, and these, these uh, early church fathers, this was a creed uh, that they held to. It is, it is important that people understand that Jesus was dead and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, just like Scripture attested. Now, I want us to look in John, John chapter 20, and I want us to go to this story because this is the story of resurrection. The Gospels all bear this story out, and there's, there's differences in all the Gospels, but one thing about the Gospels is they're all going to, to come to a climax point of resurrection because that's the point. That's the point of telling the story of Jesus was to tell of his resurrection. It wasn't just to tell that he was a good dude that, that gave some good advice, you know what, and he, and he cared for people. The point was to bring people to resurrection because that's why Jesus came was to bring us life. And so I want us to go to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, and it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and I do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know why. That always strikes me as funny when I read that. It was like John just had to kind of put that in. as like, listen, Peter was kind of slow. He was, you know, he's just not, he's just not as fast as me. So uh, just, it just seems like a detail that's like, hey, I'm just going to put this in there, see if anybody picks up on it. He goes on and says, stooping in. To look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So although he might be faster, he wasn't as brave, all right? Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. It gives this idea that... Um, this is an important detail uh, because the story is that his disciples, this was, this was what was kind of perpetrated at that point. His disciples had come and stolen the body. So I want you to think about this detail in the story that if that was the case, if that was the case that his disciples who were scared of the Roman government in the first place, who ran for fear as they crucified Jesus, if they got bravery enough about them to go confront the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb to break the seal, and to break the seal at that point was to commit uh, a capital offense and, and because it was sealed at Pilate's, um, the Pilate's seal. So uh, it, was, it was a capital offense to break that seal. And so if they got up enough courage to confront the Roman soldiers, then they actually had to go commit a capital offense to open the tomb to steal his body. But if you're stealing something, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that you guys need to go out and steal anything, right? I had something stolen from me a few weeks ago, my, my, my uh, key fob. Anybody got a key fob? You know, it locks your doors. My key fob is, is dead. And so I've been getting lazy 
I haven't been locking my truck at night. And, yeah, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll get my, my key fob fixed and I'll, I'll, you know, take care of it. And, and I ain't worried about my truck sitting in my driveway. Well, lo and behold, if somebody didn't break into my truck, they really didn't have to break in. They just opened the door, right, <laughs> because it wasn't locked. And they, 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 they opened my truck, and uh, I got in the next morning, and I saw that I have a, a, a little, my secret stash of, uh, you know, Dairy Queen money. And, uh, and they got into my Dairy Queen money. And uh, it was it was just kind of disheveled in my truck, and I was. And my first thought was, my boys have gotten in here; <laughs> they got my Dairy Queen money. They found out where I was keeping it. The thing about someone who's going to rob you, they don't try to put things back. They're not like trying to say, "Hey, I'm you know I'm going to clean the truck up before I leave. I'm going to take his money, but I'm going to clean the truck up." You know, they didn't leave it nice and shiny. They left stuff everywhere. I had a pair of work gloves wound up in the neighbor's yard. You know, it's just uh, dumb stuff like that. So why do I tell you that? Because if the disciples stole the body, why would they take care to wrap everything back up? I mean, that just doesn't make sense, right? If you're trying to steal the body, you're trying to get out of there, and if you're trying to perpetuate this lie, quote-unquote lie, you're not going to take the time to wrap it back up because at this point you're running for your life. But John gives us a piece of evidence here, some details. And he says, they saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in its place. Almost in the sense that it was just, just like it was, when it had, almost in the sense it had been wrapped. If you think about something being wrapped around Jesus, this cocoon, that it is folded in the sense that uh, what was inside of that cocoon just went outside of that cocoon. It was still wrapped in that sense, and that's, that's, that's what the, the original language gives us, this detail. It said it was folded up in the place by itself, and then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and they saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. See, this is interesting because there's two things in, that, that I'll, I'll I ask when I read this story. Two things that I ask um, myself and, and these are the two questions what got left behind in the grave and what came out of the grave what got left behind in the grave what did Jesus leave in the grave and what did Jesus bring out with him and and so to answer this uh, I just I just want to start what got left behind the things that got left behind these are the things I think that got left behind the things that got left behind was shame and and shame is something that had plagued people from the very get-go you got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and see the story of, of Adam and Eve. And when they took what was not theirs, God had told them, don't eat of this tree. But they did it anyways. And what happened? They thought that their eyes, uh, they thought that they would, they would get something more. And they did. They got something more than what they bargained for, but wasn't what they thought they were going to get. And, and what they found out was their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. And what did they do? They hid themselves in shame. See, shame has plagued us from the get-go shame has been something that people have carried from from the time of Adam and Eve and there are things that you have done there are things that I have done and there's shame that we carried but what Jesus left in the grave on that first Easter morning was shame he said you don't have to carry the shame anymore he left it in the grave what else did he leave in the grave he left the past he left yesterday in the grave yesterday's yesterday is gone it's dead and gone 
He says we are looking forward to what's new. We are looking forward to the new day. We are looking forward to the new resurrection. Now we look ahead. We don't have to look behind us. We don't have to just sit and think about the sins of the past. Those are the things that have been left in the grave. Shame, yesterday, the past, death, and defeat has been left in the grave. It didn't come out with Jesus. It wasn't like he was trying to figure out what all the baggage he could bring out when he was coming out, right? It's not like us trying to get out the door in the morning to go to work. We got all our stuff in our hands. Jesus said, there's things I'm leaving behind, and I don't need a notification to tell me to come back and get it because I don't need it anymore. You know what? It's not that Jesus doesn't need it anymore. You don't need it anymore either. He's saying we are a different kind of people now. There is something about us that is changing. There is something about our perspective that changes now on the other side of resurrection. For us, we look at life differently. And for us, we have to look at death differently too. I don't know what it is about Easter. I had a friend that passed away this week. And I've been heartbroken for his family. Um, his wife and, and her children, these, these, these beautiful children, and their family. And I, I, just, I just look at him. He's 38 years old. And, um, and I think, oh, God. How much more does resurrection mean to us when we face something like that? Anybody ever lost somebody? I have. I've lost people that I love, and I hated to see them suffer and, and die. But see, I, I, I just know Easter changes things for me because I sit here and I weep now, and I think about, ah, this is only temporary. Ah, this is only but a moment. Ah, life is only but a vapor. And, and you know what? One day, one day, I'll not only see them, one day I will see the one who paid victory for us, who got up on Easter morning to give us resurrection, that we no longer have to look and, and stare down death, but now we can look and, and, and look for life because that's what he brings us. This is how resurrection changes for us. What got left behind? Shame. What got left behind? The past. What got left behind? Defeat. What got left behind? Death got left behind. What did he bring with him? See, God's plan was for you. God's plan for you was not in the grave. It's in his grace. That's what God's plan is. It's not in the grave. It's in his grace. That's his plan for you is in the grace that he has won for us. I love what C.S. Lewis says, and I'm gonna, I just want to give you this quote right here for C.S. Lewis. And he says, keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Do you get that? Nothing that you've, never, that you've not really given away, if you try to hold on to it, it's never really going to be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself. If you look for yourself, you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. I love that. I love that. I can't look for myself. I have to look for Jesus. And all these things that we think mean something to us, it pales in a comparison when we begin to think about what Jesus has given us and what Jesus has done for us. So he left so many things in the grave. But he came out, and with him, he brought some things with him. He left some things in the grave, but what came out of the grave with Jesus that day other than Jesus himself? 
I think what came out of that grave was joy. I think what came out of that grave was hope. I think what came out of that grave was strength. I think what came out of the grave was love. I think what came out of the grave was peace. What came out of the grave was healing. What came out of the grave was transformation for us. That's what Jesus brings out of the grave. He brings it with him. We look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. I love this, what, what Paul writes here. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Do you get that? This is not your home. In a sense, it is because heaven and earth are, are coming together. Heaven and earth, it's, we sing those songs, I'll fly away, oh glory. We ain't going to fly too far because heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem is coming down to earth. And, and I think we need to get that. We need to understand this. But he says our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. Who will what? Transform. Anybody, you need some Transformation. Anybody, you keep looking in the mirror and say, I'm transforming. I'm not, I, didn't, I don't look like what I used to. There's less hair and there's more middle, right? <laughs> there's more jaws. I don't know, right? And, and when we look and we, we see a different kind of transformation when we look in the mirror, but we have something that we can look forward to. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What did he bring with him? What got up with him? Transformation got up with Jesus. Resurrection gives us hope in this life and beyond this life. You need to know that. Resurrection is not just for the next life. Resurrection is for this life too. Resurrection, actually, we get to participate now. We don't have to wait till later. So, well, you know, we sing these songs, when I die, glory, glory, by and by. You know, no, no, no. We, we sell it short because he says, no, you can go ahead and start participating now. Paul writes, he says, set your mind on things above. He says, not on things below. Set your mind on things above. Resurrection gives us hope in this life and beyond this life. Resurrection joins us to an eternal kingdom already breaking into this one. Resurrection affirms our struggle here is not in vain. Our pain is not wasted and our shame is not permanent. Our life is not one of anticipating death. Our life is now one of participating in resurrection. That's who we are. We are the people who get to participate. We don't have to anticipate death anymore. We don't have to look and stare down the face of the bully. We can participate in resurrection, and it starts today, guys. It started the day Jesus got up. Our life is not one of anticipation of death. It is a life of participating in resurrection. Things begin to come alive in us now. I love what N.T. Wright, this is what N.T. Wright said, in his book, uh, Surprised by Hope. He said, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. And the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it. I love that. How beautiful is that, that you get an invite? Not just that we get to watch Jesus do some cool stuff. That's cool, Jesus. You got out of the grave. He says, I invite you to share in that power. I invite you to participate in this. I love that. It's one thing to watch people do stuff. It's another thing for to get invited into it, right? 
It's one thing to watch somebody play a basketball game, but I love it when somebody says, hey, I want you on my team, right? I want you to come play with me. I want you to come participate with me. We get invited to participate, and that's what resurrection is. It's an invitation to participate, to participate in this, in this kingdom that is breaking in. Resurrection is not something that Jesus does. It's not just something that Jesus does. Resurrection is who Jesus is. Resurrection is who Jesus is. And so for us this morning, it changes everything. Resurrection changes everything. And you need to know this. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. I want to say that again. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. Well, Pastor, I'm living pretty good right now. Enjoy what you got because this is it. Actually, we're all in a state of dying. Until you meet Jesus. And he transforms death into life. He takes what was dying and makes it alive. And he says, now you get to participate. And I don't, it, it, it's more than just knowing facts and figures. It's more than just knowing stories about Jesus. You get an invitation to participate. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. It's, it's almost like this. You don't consume it. Sometimes I think we think, you know, okay, I, I get to take this resurrection and it becomes me. You don't get consume it and make it yours. Resurrection doesn't become yours. It doesn't belong to you. Resurrection belongs to Jesus. Resurrection consumes you and makes you his. That's how that works. That's how that works. That's why apart from Jesus, you can't have resurrection without him. You say, well, I want resurrection, but I don't like Jesus. I want resurrection, but I don't like, you know, to keep the, the, the commands at Jesus. I don't want to be obedient to Jesus. Then you don't have any part of life. And you don't have any part of the resurrection. Because Jesus belongs, uh, resurrection belongs to Jesus. Jesus is resurrection. That's what he says. I am the resurrection. He didn't say, I do resurrection. He said, I am resurrection. And when you connect with me, you connect with resurrection. It's almost like getting a, a helium balloon. I'll ask somebody to come play. How many of you like those balloons? Helium balloons, right? Understand there's a helium shortage. You, know? <laughs> you didn't know that. Now you know, right? Um, but you, you think about a helium balloon. You can't hold on. Resurrection is like the helium in that balloon. You can't hold on to that helium without the balloon any more than I can hold on to resurrection without Jesus. I, I, I can't. It's, it doesn't belong to me. I didn't win it. But I get it when I believe in Jesus. It's, it's offered to us as an invitation when we say, I do more than just believe. I trust you, Jesus. And I want you to stand with me this morning. Guys, this, this is my pitch, and it's, it's the same every Easter. Actually, I only have one sermon I, I just tell different openers all the time. <laughs> I only have one sermon. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. But he's not dead anymore. He is risen. That's the only message we've got, guys. I don't care what preacher you meet. Our message is all the same. Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he's alive. And he invites you to participate in resurrection so I want you to bow your head this morning. I just want you to think about that right now. Where are you at in this relationship with Jesus? Would you even call it that? 
would you say that I am in a relationship with Jesus? Or is it just you know some stuff about him? This morning, there's an invitation to every one of us. And if you never accepted that invitation, right now I want to give you that chance. Because it's offered to you freely. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to, you don't have to memorize a bunch of scripture, although that's really good. It's offered to you freely. Jesus died for you. He loves you. And what he offers you is, is better than life. It's resurrected life. So if that's you this morning, you just say, I want to know him that way. I don't want to just know stuff about him. I really want to know him in this resurrection. I'm just looking here. say, I want to know him that way, right? Just, just real quick, just real quick. So Lord, we come to you now. And we acknowledge that you are the God who has conquered death. Jesus gave your life for us on the cross, but you did not stay on the cross. You took death to the grave. Shame, sin, defeat, failure, our past. You took it to the grave, and when you got up, you did not bring them out. Death is dead. The victory is won. And you offer that to every one of us today. And I pray that we receive it right now. I pray that we just not know facts about 